0: God with you because what you sing, there's a real measure of truth in everything we sing and it's good and I rejoice as I watch younger men come up because I've been coming to the camp a few years and I watch what happens this morning and I realise that there is input bearing fruit in the lives and it has been well worth the fellowship developing those who are in your midst and it has been a rejoicing for me just to sit there and listen to hear the God's word opened out in a way that I realize someone has sought the Lord to get a message to get understanding so it's quite refreshing All right. <clears throat> now I want to press on from where we were yesterday if you weren't here uh, yeah, last night if you weren't here last night you'll have to catch up but We were dealing with the question of the Book of Acts because I have been a week of concentrated teaching on the Book of Acts up at Swan Hill in an extension from the Bible College in Fiji. They have set it up in Swan Hill and so they were mostly Fijians but there was a Tongan and there was an Australian amongst the students that were there. Uh, The potential, this is just the start to see it operating properly, then they plan to have one in Sydney and one in Brisbane because there is a lot of need, right? There's a lot of uh, younger islanders wanting to be trained in the Bible with understanding. So it's good to see that kind of thing happen. So I pointed out from Scripture that three books go together in sequence and it's not by accident. Your whole Bible is put together together and God has planned it because it it carries the handiwork of God on it. And your three books in your Bible in sequence are Luke, John, and Acts. And you will notice as we go through, there is a developing sequence going right through, particularly concerning the Holy Spirit. As I pointed out yesterday, Luke is the only one who has Luke 11 recorded. That is the issue of... If, uh, if a son comes to the father says and asks for uh, fish, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for bread, would he give him a scorpion to eat? And Jesus said, You're evil, you fathers. You know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him so you've got an established relationship there is a father son relationship the birth has already taken place the son is in the family but there is something for that son every son and the question is Jesus is taught persistence by a parable every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights there's no shadow of turning with him so every gift he gives will be good It comes down from the Father of lights. What incentive there is in the book of Luke, just in that section, that every son should have the gift that God promises to every son, which is the Holy Spirit. It's not the new birth, because he's already a son. It has to do with the promise of the Father. So when you go to John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, before he goes to Gethsemane, he is speaking Uh, in a a vast amount only on the promised Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. You will not find that in any other gospel. But you are transiting from Luke to Acts and here you have John in the middle and that's the gospel that when Jesus has, remember, Passover, he has conducted. Betrayer left and it was night. And then he goes down towards the garden of Gethsemane and he is teaching. And so you have three full chapters and they're all about the Holy Spirit. They're about what the Holy Spirit will do. Uh, It's necessary for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. When he's come, and then he proceeds to teach everything the Holy Spirit will do. Expectancy. So we have a situation when we step into the book of Acts. This is the history. Luke, John, and when you step into the book of Acts, you immediately step in to the, to the Holy Spirit being sent from heaven. Now, you pick up your Bible. You've got a Bible there? Yes. All right. Trust you have. <laughs> Most of you might have a, uh, a phone or a tablet or something. I, I'm sorry. I'm not IT. I've got a book. <laughs> I've been brought up with a book. You might have been brought up with a phone and you understand how it works. I am not IT in thinking, so I depend on my book, all right? (laughs) So you come to this book. That book is divided into two parts, isn't it? The book you have is divided into two parts. What are they? Old Old Testament, New Testament, or if you like, Old Covenant, New Covenant. So there is a transition in this book you are going to pass from the old covenant to the new covenant. And you have celebrated this morning the memory of that, haven't we? What did Jesus do? It is the Passover. He he said in Luke, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew this was what lay before him this time. So, they're going to go to this Passover meal, and then he said, "This is the new covenant. He takes the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the remission or forgiveness of sins. Drink ye all of it." So he introduces a new covenant. So what's happened in your Bible? We have passed from old covenant to new covenant, and the transition takes place at this point. This is the new covenant in my blood. So he introduces what we remember. This is why he came. He had a growing up. He was here for a purpose, but the final outcome of that purpose was one thing. The sin of the world had to be dealt with. That was why he came. And so we understand the importance of what is here. Because the whole of your Old Testament is all about Israel. Isn't it? It's all about Israel. What have we Gentiles got in the Old Testament? You won't find Gentiles Gentiles there very much at all mentioned. But you will find constantly the nation of Israel. God is dealing with the nation of Israel. from, from He starts in Genesis chapter 11, but Sarai was barren. Right? The whole world is idolatrous, we are told that. Abram was an idol worshipper and the God of glory, Stephen says, the God of glory appeared to him and called him out of the idolatrous worship of Ur of the Chaldees and those around him because he wanted a nation that would show to the nations of the world there was a living God. How would God do it? Sarai was barren, she could not have children. And if you go through your Bible up to that point, other sons and daughters, other sons and daughters, other sons and daughters, other sons and daughters, no one was barren till Sarai. We don't think like that because we got barrenness around us. Some of it's induced by all kinds of things, but there is barrenness, all right? It's accepted that kind of thing happens. But in the world before Sarai, there was no barrenness. Every everyone listed there, you're going to find has other sons and daughters. Son is named, then other sons and daughters. So God stepped into the history of our world with a woman who could not have children, and she's 65 years old, and (coughs) she's barren. And the years go by until Abram is 99. And she's well and truly barren. She was past bearing. Absolutely. No way. So how is the living God opened out to the world? He is the giver of life. He is the only source of life. That's why when you read John's Gospel, it's says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. So the source of life. Remember what he said to no he didn't say it. Daniel said it to him. I just go from scripture to scripture. Alright you you'll just follow me. Daniel said to King Belshazzar remember when the fingers were written the hand went across the, the plaster of the palace the back wall. Just a part of a hand and as it went it left letters behind on the wall. And the, the king shook. His knees knocked. As this hand moved across the back wall and there written in words was many many and he didn't know what it meant and he called for his diviners his astrologers everyone no one could tell him. Queen Mother was there and she said there was a man. She was called in when she heard all the noise she came in and she heard what happened and she said in the days of your father there was a man and he could solve mysteries. He could interpret dreams. Send for him, and he will tell you. So when what happened when Daniel came in? He was, he was very powerful in speech, was Daniel. Because he said to Nebuchadnezzar, he said, your father had an experience. He said to Belshazzar, your father, who was Nebuchadnezzar, he had an experience, meaning... This young fellow, right, when he was a young fellow, understood that his father or grandfather, we're not sure his the exact relationship, he, for seven years, went out of his mind. The greatest key, powerful, most powerful king in the whole world, never a man like him since, he went out of his mind for seven years. And he ate grass like an ox, like a, a, a cow. The dew of heaven wet him. His hair grew like eagle's feathers. His nails on his feet grew like bird's claws. And seven times passed over him. His sanity was gone. And he was mad. And they drove him out. And he lived like that for seven years. Till his sanity came back. And God restored him to his kingdom. He said, you knew what happened to your grandfather. Why weren't you afraid to take the vessels of God and worship the idolatrous gold, silver objects, idols of this world? Why weren't you afraid to do that? You knew what happened to your grandfather. He said, that God, in he, your very breath is in his hand. Daniel's a prophet, I'd say it. prophets have some very powerful words to say to people in, in, in the Old Testament. They should be just as powerful today. Prophets would have been fearful, true prophets would have been fearful people to stand in the presence and listen to their words. You read Jeremiah, they hated his words. These prophets had a power in their ministry and Daniel Daniel is a prophet, Jesus said he was. Daniel the prophet. So here is this prophet Daniel before this king who has inherited an immense empire, the like of which we have not seen. Babylon was an amazing city. And God had given Nebuchadnezzar total power. When Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he said, You, O king, are king of kings. And when I read that I said, no, that's not right. There's only one king of kings. Why could Daniel say to Nebuchadnezzar, you, O king, are king of kings? Why? Go down in your text and it says, God has given you control of all mankind. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air are all under your power. said, no king has ever had that. You say, that's only one text. You can't justify it. Go to Jeremiah, twice in Jeremiah it is repeated. God had given to Nebuchadnezzar control over the beasts of the field, the wild beasts, and also the birds of the air. No king has ever had that power. Why? Nebuchadnezzar is a shadow of the God of heaven. He has absolute control. So when Daniel said to him, you're king of kings. Now the sun is here, bringing the, the worship, the, 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 the containers of gold and silver, but used to worship the God of heaven. Is mocking, mocking the God of heaven. And they're drinking, and they're worshipping the idols of this world. They reject totally the God of heaven. And when Daniel comes in, you knew, O king, you knew, O king. He said, that God whom caused your father to go seven years out of his mind in His hand is your very breath. And tonight, your kingdom will be taken from you. And that night, Darius came in and he was killed. Belshazzar was killed that night. So we step in to a scripture here. Israel is set before us all through the Old Testament. What about Gentiles? We were far off. We were alienated from God. <coughs> we were not part of the covenants of promise. That belonged to Israel. We had no part. That's the old covenant. It was from Mount Sinai. If, you were, if I was attending, <coughs> if you were Jews, what would be characteristic of every one of you? You would be, if you're a male here, you would be circumcised. At eight days old, you would have been circumcised if you were a Jew. Today, it's exactly the same. Some other nations do it because they have kind of background of understanding from Israel. But Israel itself, if you're a Jew, every male child at eight days old had to be circumcised. So you go back through your Old Testament. Was Jesus circumcised? At eight days old, they took him in. He was circumcised. What is he? He's under the law. Now you're going to have a transition, a mystery hidden from ages and generations. What is that? That the Gentiles will be fellow heirs, partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Tell me, is there an immense transition taking place when Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's table or the Lord's supper or communion? Immense. You are passing from one nation covenant in relationship to God now to a covenant that embraces the whole Gentile world that's our Bible and the transition is amazing and I'm going to take you through some of the transition that we see before us here (coughs) I'll try and keep the text if I can I'll take your Bibles. I'm going to show you the transition, particularly about the King James. Take your Bible, turn to John 1 and then verse 17. It's not as clear in the NIV. It's very clear in the King James. John 1 verse 17. John 1 verse 17. says, for the law, oh, I've got an NIV, all right, I'll read that first. For the law was given, how? The law, that's the Ten Commandments. The law was given, how? What's your Bible tell you? It's through Moses. That is Mount Sinai, that is Moses receiving the two tablets of the law and coming down. And it says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So set in opposition is Moses receiving the law at Mount Sinai, And Jesus Christ, and now it's grace and truth. King James is excellent. You know why? It says, (coughs) The law was given by Moses, but... Underline it. But is contrast. And is a conjunction (coughs) that joins. All right? You understand English? (laughs) And is a conjunction. It joins like-minded things together, no problem. When you have but you are contrasting two opposite things. So your Bible is telling you the law was given by Moses, but in contrast to that, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Why? And we heard it this morning. You can't be saved by your works because the law tells us what we should do. And it's our works when we do the law. That's our works. You say, why did God give the law well? Well, we have to learn that in us dwells no good thing. Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. To will is present, he said, how to perform it, I don't find. I'm a wretched man. This is Paul. I'm a wretched man. Who will deliver me from this vile body of death that I, I indwell? It's in me in there. So now we have (coughs) a new covenant. To establish a new covenant, have you got to finish an old one? If you are under a covenant and another covenant you are going to come under, what have you got to do with the old covenant? Now, Paul takes this, and he takes the law of marriage in Romans 7, He takes the law of marriage. So he says to teach the truth of our understanding. Some some of us believers grapple with the law and its place in our lives. So Paul is dealing with the question, what is your relationship to the law? You're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. So do do I live my life by the law? I've come to Christ, my sins are forgiven, but how do I live now? And this was a real problem in the early church and has been in the history of the church all the time. And every believer at some point in your life, you face the questions. How do I live a holy life? What is the means by which it happens? Right. <coughs> and our brother here, I was quite thrilled to listen, <coughs> Because you might not realise, but in the whole of the Pacific, Seventh-day Adventists create chaos. Right? <laughs> they get in the Pacific what you don't get in Australia here. That is, they hear exactly what SDAs teach. In public meetings, with three weeks, presentation all the time, everywhere, all over, for three weeks, they give their doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. So why don't, the SDAs understand exactly what they believe because they have a book in their Bible college, Fulton Bible College, and it's uh, 26 basic doctrines of the SDAs. So they're thoroughly indoctrinated, they know exactly what they believe. <laughs> we believers who come to Christ, we often are very shady, shaky, on what we actually believe or understand about our salvation. All right? So when you come to the Pacific, there's an absolute necessity that we become clear. So, if you're under the law, tell me this. You're going to have to keep the fourth day, uh, the fourth commandment. You're going to have to keep the fourth commandment. If you're under the law, you'll have to keep the fourth commandment because it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Won't you? That's the law. What do you do with it? I always say, well, Sunday's our Sabbath. Some Christians do that. Sunday is the Sabbath. We rest on Sunday, so we worship uh, not the Saturday, but the Sunday, and and over the Pacific, some some Christians, because of this presentation, worship on two days, Saturday and Sunday, so they won't be burnt, because Sunday worship is the mark of the beast, right? That's what's taught, and fear fills the hearts. If you worship on Sunday, that is the mark of the beast, because Constantine introduced. This is a teaching. Constantine introduced worship on Sunday. So that's the mark of the beast, and if you read Re- Re- Revelation 16, you're going to burn. You would take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn. So that's fear. So, what do we do? To make sure that we get to heaven, we will keep the two days. All right? You'll keep Saturday and you'll keep Sunday. That way, you'll get through the gate all right. All right? You get the idea? Right? Does that create confusion? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, what happens? This is what happens. Paul takes marriage. So he says, I speak to you, my brothers. That is, Jewish believers. I speak to you, my brothers. He says, the law has control, dominion over a person as long as he lives. All right? So you've committed a crime worthy of payment or death or whatever it is you committed a crime. But you die, can they get you? Can the law do anything with you? Now you're dead. The law can't speak to you. It will never get you to do anything because you're dead. You might have committed things, but now you're dead. The law can't touch you. All right? The law has control over a person as long as they are alive. Then he says this. <coughs> he says, a woman is married to A man, and I use this overseas because uh, recently, uh, for time, Margaret has never been with me, all right? So she's not with me. So I say, all right, I'm married, I have a wife. (coughs) If I am married to that wife and she marries another man, what's she called? She's an adulteress. So Paul says, that's what she's called. Why? because the covenant stands in her first marriage. Now, she marries another man. So that covenant still stands because there's only one thing that ends a covenant. It's death. So if I'm if I married to Margaret, and while I'm overseas, she marries another man. Paul says, she will be called an adulteress. But if I die and she marries another man, she is not called an adulteress. Why? Because death ends the covenant. So when you come to the Lord's table, is a covenant being ended? Yes, it is. Christ's death. Ends the connection to Mount Sinai for the Jew. We were never under the law. The law was given to Israel. Hero, Israel. It was never given to the Gentiles, it was given to the Jewish nation. <coughs> so, what happens? In his death, Christ ended the connection of the Jewish nation to the law for acceptance before a holy God. The responsibility. To be under that law and obey it. The death ended it. So what happens? This is Paul's argument. My brothers, you are dead, you're dead to the law by the body of Christ. So Christ's death was death for the Jewish nation. To separate them from the old covenant so they can legally be married to someone else so Paul's wording in the King James is my brothers you are dead to the law by the body of Christ you got a King James so you can be married to another notice the marriage continues death has taken place the covenant is finished and there is a new covenant if you're a Jew here and you believe that you would say hallelujah I'm not under the law And our brother here, when he took this this table this morning, I was thrilled at the clarity with which he presented. I was thrilled, right? (laughs) I was thrilled. (laughs) So when you come to this area here, are we an important area? Yes, we are. Very important. There is a transition that takes place in our Bible between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You'll go from Malachi, which is 400 years about before Matthew, there is no prophet in Israel. You have 400 years, there is no prophetic voice in the whole of Israel, which in the history of our world had prophet after prophet from the time of Moses going right back to Abel. You've got Abel, you've got Enoch, these prophets, and then you come to Israel and you've got all Isaiah, Jeremiah, Haggai, and all, all these people, prophets to the nation of Israel. But you got 400 years from the book of Malachi Through to Matthew, silence. There is no prophet. So, who steps onto the scene of the world? John the Baptist. There rises a prophet in the nation of Israel. You are in a period of transition now. Take your Bible, go to Luke 16, verse 16. Remember, we're in Luke. Luke 16, verse 16. We're in transition. Very interesting statement. Luke 16, verse 16. <clears throat> the law and the prophets were till when? <clears throat> Which John? Make sure you got the right John. John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were till John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. So we have an immense change, and the one that introduced this whole change is John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? Did he have a history? Did he have a history as an unborn in the womb baby? He did. He was in the womb of Elizabeth, his mother, who was a relative of Mary, from whom Jesus was born into this world. So, what had happened? Angel Gabriel, messenger from heaven, comes to Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, and remember, they're both no children. No children. They prayed and prayed and prayed, and they're old. And there is no child. And Zechariah is of the Aaronic line, the high priestly line. His lot go into the um, holy place and burn incense. That was his responsibility. And remember, he's in there burning incense. And suddenly, there is an angelic being standing, and he's frightened, he's terrified. There's an angelic being standing next to him and says, Zechariah, fear not. Zechariah, your prayer is heard. Elizabeth will have a son. Gives him the name. Tells something of the son. So what does Zechariah say? How can this be? Meaning, listen. If he was going to have an argument with the angel, Gabriel, he would have said, This is my interpretation, all right? Because Gabriel is hearing what he says. He's saying, when he asks, how can this be? He's saying, listen, I'm old. She's old. We've prayed and prayed, meaning God hasn't answered our prayers. And now you come and tell me this is going to happen. How can it be? I don't really believe it can happen. And listen to the the angel Gabriel. I am Gabriel. Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God because you did not believe what I said you'll be dumb till the child is born. So here is all Israel no prophet rising and here a man comes out from offering incense and he can't talk. He went in quite able to talk. They don't know what's gone on inside. He comes out he can't talk. So Do you you think no one knew about this? you know what would happen? It would become news all around. Zechariah went in to do his work in in the temple. It was his responsibility. It was right what he did. But when he came out, he's dumb. He can't communicate. So he finishes his task. He can't talk. He goes home up in the hill country with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth conceives. So for five months, she hid herself. And she she was very thankful that what God had done for her. She praised God. So what happens? Six months, when that child in the womb of uh, Elizabeth is six months old, the angel Gabriel comes to a virgin Mary (coughs) and comes to that virgin in Nazareth and says, (coughs) you will have a son and gives the details. She says, how can it be? Same question, but not, I don't believe it can happen. The question is asked, please explain to me how that happens. So the explanation is immediately of no reproof. Same question, but back of the question, one is unbelief. Now you have a, a young woman, very quite young woman, And she is told this. How can it be? Simple. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore that holy thing born of you will be called the Son of God. And she believed. She believed what she was told. She went up immediately into the hill country because Elizabeth was her cousin. And she came to the door and gave greetings. The Bible says she greeted. Probably said shalom. And instantly... In the womb of Elizabeth, six months developed is John the Baptist. Six months in the womb. This tells you a lot about abortion. Six months in the womb is John the Baptist and (coughs) he leaps in the womb. Why? At the sound of the voice of the mother of my Lord is what Elizabeth said. The babe leaped in my womb at the sound of the voice of the mother of my Lord. So do the unborn listen to anything? Do they hear anything? If your Bible is correct, and it is, from the time of conception up to the time of delivery, they are taking in the sounds of the world outside their womb. No wonder some of them come out of the womb totally screwed up. Because all they've heard is, why did we get this one? What are we going to do with this one? Will we get rid of it or not? You know the conversations that go on? They go to the doctor, best thing, get get rid of it. Just get abortion, then you're free of the problems that will come with the birth. That's all it is. That's what's going on in our world today. But the Bible teaches us as Christians that in the womb, that unborn knows exactly what's going on outside. So what happens? Six months and Mary has come in and that's what's there. So she waits till just before the birth takes place when Elizabeth will give birth and she goes back to the village. And in a village, if you live in a village, you don't know village life, but villages, everyone knows everything about everyone else. Yeah. So you never hide anything in a village, all right? You might come into a village, but you don't know what goes on in that village, but everyone in that village knows what goes on in that village, all right? So when Mary comes back, she's three months pregnant, all right? And uh, <coughs> Joseph is there. And he is espoused to her, engaged to her, marriage has not yet taken place, he's betrothed to her. And three months, four months, five months what is happening? She is becoming quite apparent, she is with child. Village talk. Village talk. Joseph thinks, Joseph thinks, what do I do? I didn't give birth to, I didn't cause this birth. What's happened? And he didn't want to make her a public, the Bible says he didn't want to make her a public example. (coughs) And he was minded to put her away privately so she would not suffer for it. And God spoke to him. Fear not to take unto you Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. So, what about Joseph? What are you going to do, Joseph? <clears throat> Have you had relationships with Mary before marriage? Is that how it came about? You know the, you know, you know the village? Village? Joseph, right? Like, he's been unfaithful before marriage. That's a shame. Very strongly held. A virgin in marriage, very strongly held. So, the shame of it all falls on Joseph and Mary. No wonder they said, we're not illegitimate. You know, the priests and the Pharisees. We're not illegitimate, illegitimate children. You are. That's Nazareth. They know what happened in Nazareth. In fact, Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was a poor place. So this is the beginning of the Son of God in this world. Wow, what are coming into the world. Tell me what's happening. I'll tell you what's happening. There's talk, talk everywhere because there's a man gone into the the, the temple. This is in the midst of Jerusalem. Everyone's worshipping and this man comes out and he's done. So what happens when this baby conceived in the hills back there where he went? They have to bring him in for circumcision and give him a name. So they bring the baby in of Zechariah and Elizabeth, carry the baby in. Now he's going to be circumcised. So they circumcise him and they ask the mother, What name? Because he's dumb. What name? What name will we have? She said, John. And they said, No one of your family is called that. She said, Give him a piece of paper to write on. Give him a piece of paper to write on. So she, he takes a pen and he writes, John. And instantly, his mouth is open, and he's worshipping God. Don't, don't you think the whole place is arrived with ta- stories. Remember, 400 years of silence, and God is supernaturally stepping into the nation of Israel. Supernaturally, when angels coming to the shepherds in the field, eh? Don't think, they noised it abroad, they went everywhere. How would you be like to be in the... Now, you don't go out in the field at night, do you? <laughs> because you're not looking after sheep and you're not working sheep like they did. But if you go out in the field at night, and it was not in December, it's snow, ice, cold in Israel then, but they're out in the field and they're caring for the sheep. Suddenly, one angel shone and the hole in the ground lit up about them. Remember Saul? Fell to the ground. A light above the brightness of the noonday sun. And he went to the ground. Straight down. It was, he couldn't stand it. Now you have shepherds in the field and they're watching their flocks. And suddenly, as they're watching, one angel appears. And the glory of the Lord shone all round about them. The angel came with a message. Then suddenly, Angels everywhere. Angels every he says, the highest host of heaven are there. They're all come, worshipping. Then they left. And they said, we will go and see this great sight we've been told about. Do you think they were silent when they'd gone through this experience? Would you be silent if all this happened to you and me? We wouldn't keep our mouths closed. It's too real. Angels don't come every day like that. It's supernatural. God stepped into this world supernaturally. And every incident from here on where you see God working, it is beyond the natural. There is no explanation. Heaven in its power and authority has intruded into earth. And what's going on? So if you had Facebook, (coughs) if you had Facebook, you wouldn't have Fake news. All right? What you read from those shepherds, which we are given here, was written down because Luke got eyewitness account. Those shepherds went and Mary could have told them. They came into this manger where where we were. We've given birth birth, and, and Jesus is in the manger. The shepherds come in. She can tell all about it. They would have told what happened. They knew in the manger you will find this baby, not in a cradle, not in a manger you'll find him. That's the sign. And they would tell it. And it was noised abroad. Mary kept all these things in her heart and she pondered them. She has a history with this firstborn son and she pondered, pondered, pondered everything that happened. Remember they went up, when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem. What happened there? Go up to Jerusalem, Passover, leave after it's finished, go back to the village, day's journey, two days journey, he's not there. He's not even amongst all their relatives because they've all gone up. It's the command of Israel, every man, male child, Every male goes up to Jerusalem at three feasts. And this is one. So they've all gone up. All the relatives are there, everyone. They go asking amongst the relatives, have you you got him? Have you got him? Where is he? So they left their relatives and went all the way back to Jerusalem. They were looking for him. They finally ended up in the temple. And there he is, sitting. He's got all these leaders of the Jewish nation, religious leaders. He's listening to them. He's asking them questions. And it says, they marveled at the wisdom this 12-year-old had. And they came in and said, Son, why have you done this to us? We've gone looking for you. And you're here. He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? And he went back and he was subject to them. Mary never forgot that. She had memory after memory after memory about this firstborn child in the family. When he was brought in to be circumcised, when Jesus was brought in, what happened? He was named Jesus. But then there came a time, because he's firstborn, they must bring him in, and Mary must offer, because she is a woman, she is a Jew, and if you have a firstborn son or a son, you must offer for your cleansing. And so, they're very poor pigeons. Anyone else could buy, uh, could have a lamb, but Joseph and Mary are very poor. So they offer, we're told, they offer the pigeons. That was what poor people could offer. So, they do that. They offer. There is a man in there, Simeon. Simeon was old. And Simeon had been told by God, you will not die till you see the Lord's Christ, the Anointed One. He was in the temple at that instant. And as Mary came in and Joseph with that little baby, he took that baby in his arms. And he said, now, Lord, Let your servant depart in peace. Mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before all nations. Don't you think Jerusalem was being prepared? This is supernatural after supernatural happening. Now you will pass ahead. I'll leave all that. You can go through it. It's happening all the time, including the wise men and all these kind of things. All fitted in there. But you step ahead 30 years. Where's John the Baptist? He's in the desert. He was brought up in the desert. And the time of his showing to Israel came. And he came into Israel from the desert. And he had a message. And the message was what? Repent. Repent. Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. Right? Notice the law and the prophets were to John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. All right. So we have the law and the prophets. There's a cessation because it's now going to be fulfilled. And this is the transition point. John the Baptist is the transition point. Who was John the Baptist? Take your Bible. We're going to look at John the Baptist. We're in Luke one seventy six to eighty. Luke one seventy six to eighty. This is the prophecy that was given over him by Zechariah, his father. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. So people were filled with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament before the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit filled Zechariah and he prophesied. Remember, he was done. And this is what he said from verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Is that Prophetic? For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. What a a commission was given to John the Baptist. And Zechariah is prophesying over him because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. That was the prophecy that went over John the Baptist. So you read the next verse and we're given a little bit of his history. The child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. So this man stepped out of the desert. You have to go back. When he steps out in the desert, there is a history. How much... How much now, some of you won't even remember because you're not 30 years old. All right? <laughs> but if you're over 30 here, and are quite a bit over 30, you should remember some of the things that you were involved in 30 years ago, and a bit more than 30 years ago. You're over, over 30. Now, you're in the nation of Israel 30 years before John the Baptist steps onto the scene of Israel... These miraculous things had awakened Israel. Supernaturally, events were taken in a short time, a matter of two years. These events had taken place in Israel. So, and it was talked. They talked about it. You get it from Scripture. So you step ahead 30 years. And remember, he's six months older than Jesus. That's how old he is. And Jesus began to be about 30, so we know how John the Baptist was. So he steps onto the scene of Israel like this. What was his message? Because the Bible says the law and the prophets were till John since that time. So John steps onto the scene. So what is his message? Who is this man? Now the Bible defines the man for us. Take your Bibles. <coughs> You're in John 1, 19 to 28. John 1, 19 to 28. This is John's testimony about himself. John 1, 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Because he had shaken the whole of that area with his message. People were coming to him. People were being baptised by him. It was, if you would say, a real revival taking place amongst the common people in the land of Israel. So here we have, this was John's testimony. They sent The Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Verse 20. He did not fail to confess... <coughs> But confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Means they were expecting the Christ, the Messiah, to come. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? Because Elijah would come before that great and notable day of the Lord would come. That's the last part of Malachi. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Meaning, Deuteronomy 18. The Lord will raise up a prophet like unto me, Moses said, him you will hear. If you don't listen to him, you'll be cut off from the people. Are you that prophet? No, he answered. Finally, they said, who are you? (laughs) They're getting agitated. All right, They can't give an answer. Who is he? (laughs) Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Here is his answer. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Verse 26, I baptize you with water, John replied, but among one Among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So the only answer they got, he's not the prophet, he's not the Messiah, he's not Elijah come back, who is he? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the desert, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, that's why I'm here. So that's what John said. What did Jesus say about him? T- Jesus gave testimony to him. So take your Bible and turn across to Matthew 11:7 to 15. Remember, this is the transitional period. Matthew 11 verse 7. Matthew 11, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, because John had sent them, he was in prison, he sent them to ask Jesus, are you the one that should come, or do we look for someone else? Verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Is that what it was like? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Is that why you wear it? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Notice verse 11. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Wow. That's a statement and a half, isn't it? Go span your history of the world as we know it from the Bible among those born of women, including Moses, including all those mighty men of the Old Testament. There has not risen a one greater than John the Baptist. That was Jesus' answer. That to us is come off it. Moses was the man of God. David was a man after God's own heart. Daniel was the beloved of the Lord. But John, of all born of women, there's not risen one greater than John. Then he gives a a, a distinct statement. Please notice your Bible. It says this. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, he says, John is the greatest that is risen. But he that's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Now we really have got someone, haven't we? That should stir our thinking because you should be able to answer the question, who is the least in the kingdom of heaven? You've only got your Bible. You've only got your New Testament because we've reached this point in the New Testament. You've only got the rest of the New Testament to give an answer. Who is the least in the kingdom of heaven? Huh? Who do you think? Must be a man. He's least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'll give you some clues. Take your Bible, turn to John, and we're going to look at what was said. In John, chapter. I'll give you the chapter. <coughs> John chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 27. It says John's answer when Jesus and his disciples were baptizing. John 3, verse 27. Everyone's going out to be baptized by Jesus' disciples. They're going away. John is (coughs) giving an answer to who he is. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. Is that true? We receive nothing except we have been given it from heaven. Even the breath of our, our, our very being. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Christ. But I'm sent ahead of him. Now notice what he says. The bride belongs to who? The bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This joy is mine and it's now complete. So what is John saying? Remember the issue is between John and Jesus, because Jesus' disciples are now baptising, they're moving, no longer, the whole attention has moved from John, it's now on this man who's going through Israel and doing miracles. That is the whole attention has shifted. Now John said, <coughs> he said, the, the bride, I'll give you the words exactly, <coughs> he says this, <coughs> the bride belongs to, to the bridegroom. Now that's a, that's a statement, clear, every time. Right, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Then he says this. The friend who attends the bridegroom. Who's that? You know marriage. When the marriage takes place, the bride and the bridegroom are here. Is there a friend of the bridegroom in every... Yeah. They call him the best man. The best man, all right? The bridegroom, the bridegroom is the main man. But his best man is uh, his friend. John said, I am the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bride. I am the friend of the bridegroom. Now, what he says is this The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, waiting to hear him. He can identify the bridegroom. I'm, he's a friend, and he's waiting to hear the bridegroom's voice. And he says this, he is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This, John says, this, my joy, is now complete. So who is John? Is he the bride? No, he's not. He is the friend of the bridegroom. What is his work? to introduce the bridegroom to the nation of Israel. Isn't that his work? That was his work. So we understand he's the friend of the bridegroom, but he is not the bride. Now notice what relationships are there. But your Bible says, Jesus says, of those born of women... There's never risen greater than John the Baptist. His whole ministry was to consummate the whole of the law and the prophets and present Christ to the nation of Israel. That was his ministry. But he says, of all women, of all those born of women, not right one greater up to that point of John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. So, can you tell me anyone in your New Testament that you could fit into the category least in the kingdom of God? One man said, I am least of the apostles. I'm even not fit to be called an apostle. I am least of all saints. Is that a man least? He said, I am the chief of sinners. Are you looking at a man less than the least of all? That's how he terms himself. He that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Now tell me Paul's ministry. John's ministry was to present the bridegroom to Israel. What is Paul's ministry? To present the bride to Christ. Take your Bible, turn to two Corinthians. My Bible, my, mom, my wife goes, cut it, right? I want a couple more minutes. <laughs> take your Bible. <laughs> she told me she would do that when time was up. All right, so I know because I don't worry much about time. All right, take your Bible, turn to two Corinthians, chapter eleven, and we're going to Paul expresses explains his ministry. 2 Corinthians 11, we're going to read verse 2 and 3 just to explain his ministry. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. It's a relationship, is marriage, husband, wife. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Paul writes, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband. I promised you to one husband. To Christ, so that I might present you, I might present you, what is? A pure virgin to him, unadulterated, unsoiled by the world. I, I want to present you, you Corinthian saints, to Christ, pure virgin. That's why he writes his epistle. You say, but that's to the Corinthians you should read the first chapter of the first epistle to the Corinthians and these are the words. To the saints which are at Corinth and to all those in every place that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. So is it written to you and me? Yes, it is. This book of Corinth is written to you and me. And Paul is saying, I want to present you He's not just dealing with the church at Corinth. He's dealing with the whole bride of Christ, isn't he? His whole ministry is to present the bride pure to Christ. How? The washing of water by the word. We Gentiles are going to be presented with the Jews. But you have a man, Paul, and if you step from Acts, what do you go? Romans. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, Thessalonians. Seven epistles, all by the hand of this man. Why? The washing of water, he wrote. The washing of water by the word. This seven epistles prepare the Gentile church as a bride to Christ and we owe our presenter, Paul. You despise Paul's letters, and you will go into error. God has set him there. He's the least of all the apostles. He said, I'm not fit to call apostles. I persecuted the church of God. And later on when he wrote, he said, I I stood by the clothes of those throwing the stones. I condemned Stephen to death. He said, I'm the least. I'm not fit to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, nothing in me, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So we have stepped into this great transition period between your Old and your New Testament. (coughs) We come back after... And we are going to step on. There's an immense coverage that needs to be done and I can only give you a certain amount. All right? But we will step on from this and lay what to me is a thrilling understanding of what we now open from this point. Okay? God bless you as you go back and get some...